Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Well, welcome back to the epic narrative. We are in the middle. No, we're not even, we have just really begun the story of Noah. We we talked about the wickedness of the world, uh, the Nephilim last last uh, episode. And, and I just wanted you to open up your mind to the possibilities. Uh, and we're going to look more into that as well, because, because there is that possibility. And I'm not, I'm not like advocating that you believe in aliens. I'm just letting you know that if you, if you want to, it's, it's, you can see it in the text, which goes to my point, which is why I paused so much there. Uh, many times I bring up in the epic narrative that that the interpretation and translation of the original language in the Bible is subject to the translators and the interpreters. And if you whatever you come to these words with, it's it's academically uh, uh, not good. It's not it's not good academics to think that you can look at a word and not be influenced by previous beliefs and your internal um, mechanism, mechanisms of interpretation. You just naturally are. And I think that academically, you can approach it and say, okay, this is what I come to this word with. This is what I come to this 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 translation with. This is, this is who I am. And at least if I recognize that, I'm not, I'm not approaching it with some sort of uh, Pollyanna which is a reference to a really old Disney movie that probably would never pass the cultural cancellation concepts that are currently <laughs> in, in play, but come with a Pollyanna attitude that I can look at this and not be in, not be influenced by my past and my beliefs. And that includes me while I'm talking about the epic narrative. I believe in, in, you know, in certain things. And what I try to do in the epic narrative is give you opportunity to interact with scripture maybe in ways you haven't done so before maybe open you up to the idea that that there are things in scripture that people believe that you know they love Jesus they're they're going to heaven like like there's nothing wrong with them but they come at scripture with a different belief system than you and sometimes that belief system as radical as it might be to you personally actually kind of makes sense if you can kind of pull yourself far enough away from your belief systems to say, what if? Uh, there's there's some really good principles of like leadership that says, you know, stay above the line. And one of those things that you stay above the line on is curiosity. Stay curious. And that will diffuse so many uh, negative conflicts if when, as you approach it, you just kind of say, well, I'm going to stay curious. I'm just going to stay curious. And if I don't understand it or if it doesn't make sense, I'm just going to set it into a different area. I'm not going to dismiss it. I'm just going to put it out here and say, well, I need more evidence or I'm going to need to, uh, you know, uh, hang on to that for a little while, do a little bit more research. But it's it's possible. It's possible. Trust me, in the realm of of you know, what's going on in the world and, and politics and who's, you know, who <laughs> elections, uh, there's uh, good grief. Even, even the coronavirus uh, 
statistics and and side effects, like all of this information, there's a lot of it that conflicts with one another. So rather than get all crazy internally for me, I just remain curious. I try to remain curious. I look at a lot of information on all those things because I'm an avid reader. And I say, well, I don't, I don't know, but I will remain curious. I'm not going to dismiss stuff just because it makes me feel uncomfortable. But I, what I will dismiss is like the spirit of hopelessness or the spirit of fear that comes with a lot of the information, the spirit of, of you know, uh, retribution and, and that sort of thing that just to me is, no, I, I'll look at the information, but I'm not taking the atmosphere that it comes with in most cases because it's just, they're usually, somebody's usually trying to prove a point and it doesn't mean that their information is irrelevant or, or not true, it just means I'm not taking it with all of the opinions that come with it. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, social commentary is enough, Bob. Let's move on. We're going to uh, pick up again in Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 8. I know we ended there last, last week where it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And we talked briefly uh, right at the end just that, that, uh, that idea of favor, that idea of grace, uh, uh, the laws of blessing were going out from Noah because he blessed other people, um, and and therefore received blessings back. He he was gracious and kind to people, and he he was receiving that back. Even though the thoughts of man, the culture of man had turned corrupt, i.e., selfish. Noah found favor. God looked down on Noah and said, "Wow, there's a bloodline that is not corrupted." I just think that bloodlines are important. Uh, ancestries are important. So we have the account of Noah. It says, uh, verse 9, the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Righteous means that he was just. He was lawful. He, he, he brought himself into a place where he obeyed uh, the law, he was just in that he didn't um, he didn't look out for himself. He looked out for what was right. I mean, these are these are amazing descriptions that are written down forever in in scripture. Like Noah was an amazing an amazing man. It says he was righteous. It says he was blameless among the people of his time. That's where I think if you believe that bloodlines were were being corrupted by we'll call it alien blood. Then, then that would fit in there. He was he didn't have a corrupted bloodline, even though the people of his time were that way. It means he didn't give in to the concept of control and politics and fear. He lived a, he lived a different life. Now I think Noah was really well known because he was unique, and it says he walked faithfully with God. So he probably just kind of did what he did, and most people appreciated the fact that he was he was consistent in his belief systems he wasn't you know it wasn't uh unique information he wasn't un it wasn't unknown uh out there noah it is it is noted that noah was uh you know was was obvious not noted and obviously it's maybe not obvious but Again, he was alive during a time that he would have had firsthand accounts of life in the garden. 
He would have understood that. And, and in understanding it, he would have known that there was a way to stay connected to the frequency of the earth and stay connected, connected to, the, to the realm of the creator, to stay connected to the voice of God. And in that, he had three sons, Shem, Hem, Ham, Hem, Shem, Hem, and Japheth. Japheth. Thank you, Bob. My goodness, that took a while to get out. Now, it doesn't necessarily list those guys, those three guys as also having those qualities. It's implied that they, at the very least, the ancestry of those guys was also pure. That the you know that they were known as sons of Noah. And in being sons of Noah, it would have been it would have been natural for those who wrote this and for those who read this early on to to assume that they had similar character and patterns as their father, or it would have been noted differently. So just so you know, all of that is going on. Now it says the verse verse 12 or verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. Corrupt means to be spoiled, ruined, rotted. It means that that what started out great has now become, uh, you know, unacceptable. Like uh, you, you know, obviously fruit is the easiest way to to look at this. You know, vegetables, something that you, <laughs> the box, the box of lettuce leaves that we buy at the grocery store because we know some, you know, we're gonna have salad this week. Want to make sure I have the pre-cut you know, spring mix or the arugula uh, or the, you know, whatever. I just, <laughs> I suddenly wanted to go through a whole list of various types of lettuce. But anyway, so you buy the box, you put it in the fridge, right? And the next week you look at it and it's like, oh man, it's ruined. I got I got this is not good. What he's saying is that the core systems of what he had implemented, what God had made available, had had rotted. They had become something that, that no longer represented heaven on earth. The core systems of governments were, were gone. The core systems of philosophy, the culture was gone. Do you, you do understand that the government reflects culture. <clears throat> Laws are written to reflect culture. Now, there are a lot of people that, you know, that push back against laws that have been written, especially here in America, because we have a currently at least at the at the time of this recording we have a a government that allows you to protest without being shot uh now in doing so we're protesting something that in a lot of ways is our fault that occurred because we didn't let our voice be known and and in not letting our our opinions or voices be known we put into place people that were supposed to represent us or represent us in government, and instead they didn't. Or they represented a group of people that that they believe are the actual, you know, part of culture that they want to uh, represent. And that's where corruption comes in, and 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 uh, lawlessness, and political uh, spirits, and power, and authority and fear, and hopelessness, and that's the culture that they often represent. Generally speaking, politicians tend to represent that culture because that's the culture they come from, and that's the culture that keeps them in power. And we talked about that, I think, last time, where, where what I consider the political spirit is one that, that divides people 
and then one that also creates fear and then a solution for the fear in order to, in order to perpetuate the power that the politician is is looking for or trying to grow in so the philosophy of culture is reflected by government and part of that philosophy was that of violence cruelty injustice this was behavior that that occurred not just not just uh you know uh city to city but toward each other neighbors uh friends relatives there was this idea that as as noted in um where where i am no in verse four of chapter six these these heroes of old these men of renown these children of of women who had who had had babies with the sons of god the nephilim if you had one of these very powerful hybrids in your village or in your city you then had the ability to defend or go after you know better a better city or better land and and what could that other village do so there was this there was this need to uh gather men of renown there was this need to find the more powerful people to be you know on your side it, was, it naturally gave way to the idea of the 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 strong survive and the weak must be pushed aside it comes to the survival of the fittest that mentality uh was corrupting the mentality and the and the culture of love and joy and peace and hope that god had instilled in adam and eve in the garden as it represented heaven and the place of creation so when it talks about the fact that the earth was corrupt this is what it's talking about and all the people of the earth had corrupted their ways they had at some level, they also had taken on this concept of fear, this concept of, of uh, power, this concept of hopelessness, this concept of competition, of, of division. Get more people on my side than your side. This kind of, this kind of uh, mentality corrupts things. And God saw what was happening. The earth was corrupt in God's sight. It was full of violence. Verse 12, God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people of the earth had corrupted their ways. When it talks about God seeing things, this is what I, I think is important in the way that we translate this. The word saw means to perceive. It means to give attention to. In other words, he gave attention to the, to the corruption that was starting to, when it started, and he gave attention or perceived the depth that it was going. He saw, he gave attention to the corruption in all the thoughts of the people. He perceived, this is what I think is key, he perceived where those choices were going to land, where they were going to lead. That's really important when we come to the next few verses. God looks at these things that have that have a natural uh, trajectory that they're going to go on. Just like the idea of love and hope and peace and light and and joy and all and, and gentleness and meek, like all the good stuff of of the beginning when it came out. God knows that there's a that there's also a trajectory of all the things that are not of heaven, and He gave that choice to everyone, and people were continuing to continuing to choose the way of corruption now i'm not saying that they 
that they bought the whole the whole grocery store of, of corruption, but they were buying into it in little increments in in what I would consider ways that served them and their family. So they'd say, well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to do something that bad, but I am going to take advantage of the system. I mean, it is the way things run around here. And they might say that within their village or within their marketplace or within their their um, city or their region. This is the way things run. This is the government we have. This is the this is how we get things accomplished. It's fascinating to me how we take on the culture around us and we say, well, it's you know, it's just the way it is. It's the way we're going to get it done. Now, I'm not saying we should be in constant states of rebellion, but when it comes to uh, taking on the 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 atmosphere of of creating fear and division, we need to do the opposite of that. And that will mean at times you're going to do things that are not to your personal advantage. But that's how you break the culture. That's how you break up the culture. That is that is anti anti sound kind of strong. That is the opposite of heaven. Now remember the enemy. The enemy from the get-go wants to destroy anything that is in the image of God. This is why he's out after humanity. We are the only ones of God create God's creation of the multiple spiritual realms of the multiple angelic hosts of the multiple planets and and stars of the universe that have been flung out. He's like there's only one one part of this creation that I really need to destroy because it's the only part that really reflects the the image of God. And God gave them the ability to reproduce that image just like God re, you know uh, uh, produced or created the the earth. He's after us for that reason. So the more corrupt he can make it, he knows eventually it will rot and it will die. And the enemy is never happy until you're dead. Never. He doesn't look at you ever and say, well, you know what? That person's having a bad enough day. I can leave them alone for a while. I've destroyed enough of their family. I've just destroyed enough of their internal, like I've made them depressed enough. They're internally in such turmoil. I can leave them alone for a while before they're going to recover. And then I'll come back and hit them again. No, the enemy just keeps pushing. He's not happy till everyone's dead. And because he can't stop pushing, I think a lot of times he overplays his hand and that's where people step back and go, wait, where are we going? What just happened? But that's a choice that we all have to make. That choice was not being made in this culture that God's talking about right here. The corruption of earth had had gone to that point. It had spoiled. It had rotted. It was, it was no longer going, you know, no longer viable in, in the, its original form. The thoughts were evil continually. So before the corruption and the violence is seen, remember the heart and mind of the people, the individual, have to lose their connection to heaven. You don't get violence and corruption, selfishness, Fear, division, you don't get that unless internally people's belief systems have been shifted. This is not just a government issue. Like I said, the philosophy of individuals, the culture of, in, of, of the people had shifted to the point where, 
it was only being, you know, the government reflected that. So the individual person had become corrupt. Their hearts, their minds, the way that they thought, the way that they interacted with each other had so separated from the frequency of heaven, had so separated from the hearts of heaven, from their creator, that they started to act out in in terms of being violent and corrupt. And one of the first ways you do that is by being a victim of your circumstances. By pointing the finger at other people, say, well, my life would be fine if that person would just get straightened out. My life would be fine if I just changed my circumstances. My life would be fine if, my life would be fine if. I can't be responsible for that decision because, because, and whatever that list is, because the wind was blowing, <laughs> whatever. Like it's, trust me, someone with a victim mentality, they, they, they just, oh man, they, they, it is tough to come out of. It is so addictive. It becomes such a pattern in their life. I mean, I, 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 I have spoken to a few, I guess. I, uh, I don't want to stand here and give you examples, but I've spoken to, to people with victim mentality, and I'll tell you, I've, I've sat there and I've given them the wisdom of heaven. I've given them perceptions and, and principles of heaven to start living by. And every time they hear the goodness of God and what's available to them, they, they come back with another story as to why it won't work, why the principles of heaven don't work for them, why they can't quite do it that way because... If they do, then so-and-so, well, they're not. So if they don't, then why should I? I I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, oh, the families that have, you know, that have been impacted by that kind of victim mentality. Where a husband or a wife or mother or father could say, well, I, I would, but, you know, my daughter would never, well, I, still isn't going to listen to me. What, what if I show her love? You know, she's just going to take advantage. What if I do this? They're just going to take advantage. Well, my life would be fine if my spouse or my son or my daughter would just do these things. I'd be fine. Listen, I'm a good guy. I'm, a, I'm an amazing woman. Like, I just, I just need all these things to fall in a line, and then my true character can be seen. Meanwhile, the, the corruption of that mentality is going deeper all the time. It's going deeper all the time. And that's the sort of men, uh, pattern that God is seeing in the earth. All the people have become corrupted in their way. So God goes to Noah, verse 13. God says to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people, for the earth is filled with violence, and because of them, I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Wow. Wait. Let's just Let's just pause, okay? I'm not going to pause for, you know, actually, because it's a podcast and it would just sound weird if we didn't, if there was like dead, dead air for a while. But the pause here is this. We have to go back to the fact that God saw this. He perceived this. He perceived where it was going to go. And then he said, this is where it's going to go. I believe because of the life of Jesus that God doesn't step in and say, I'm going to end the earth. I believe what God is saying is the end of the earth is coming because of all the violence that is within them. It is, it is surely going to be destroyed. And the way that God, uh, Noah records this is God said, this is what's going to happen. 
what God was saying is, this is what is going to happen. Not, I am going to cause it to happen. There's a difference. And it's huge. And I understand that it is something that for a lot of you is like, no, I need God to destroy the earth because I like destroying bad people. I like watching them die. I think I think the evil politicians should all die. I think the evil, uh, you know, what I almost said, my the evil ex-spouse needs to die. No, that's terrible, Bob. <laughs> but that's the way some people bring it down into their individual world, right? That's that's just the truth. They think there's certain people that need to die, and I know who that is, and I can be just like God. I can see the evil corruptness of their lives, their narcissistic ways their selfishness, their fear-mongering, their hopelessness, and I'm just, I, they just need to die, just like God did to the earth, the planet earth. And there are preachers that do the same thing, and they've said, you know what, if, if God doesn't destroy the earth, then he, you know, owes the time of Noah an apology, or usually they go to Sodom and Gomorrah, which is coming later in the epic narrative because we're dealing with Genesis. That's another awesome story. Just can't wait to get there, but first we need to finish up with Noah. So, Many people will look at this and say, see, God wants to destroy the earth. The earth is full of corruption. Things have never been as bad as this, except in the days of Noah. And God said, is that where in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Da, 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 da. And I know, I declare to you that this is going to happen, and you need to follow me, and you need to send me money, because our ministry is, is basically the ark of the world. And if if we can get the word out, we will rescue those who are, we'll get them in the ship, we'll get them in the ark, and then the whole world, you know, can go to hell. Dun, da-da! Yeah. Well, it, 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 it definitely is a verse that if you want to come to that verse with that kind of punitive, judgmental, in essence, you know, schizophrenic God, then yeah, it works. I believe if you approach this scripture from the idea that God is love and and good and kind and looks like Jesus, then you look at the scripture and say, yeah, what, what did God say? God perceived, verse 12, how corrupt the earth had become, how all the people had, were corrupt in their ways, and he says to Noah, the end of all the people are coming. The earth is filled with violence. And because of that, everything's going to be destroyed on the earth. And Noah writes it down. God says, the end of all the earth is coming and all the people are going to be destroyed because of the violence. I don't think Noah was happy to write that. I really don't. I believe when God said it, Noah saw it as an unavoidable result but I think the next verse makes it clear that God's saying there's a way out there's a way out this is this is not unavoidable I'm gonna I'm gonna come up with a rescue plan because that's what I do listen if this was if God's plan was to destroy the everything on the earth this was God's plan if, his, if, if he came to Noah and said, listen, the whole earth, I'm going to destroy everything on the earth. You, This is not a good plan. Does that make sense? This is not a good plan. If he wants to destroy everything on the earth, this is not a good plan. Do, but, come on. I mean, give it a minute. 
let's see. I created the whole earth in a matter of speaking out words. Boom. But man, to destroy it, how to do that, I just don't know. You know what I should do? I should spend a hundred years having having a guy build a boat, and then I should flood the earth so that everything drowns and gets destroyed. And then, you know, I'll re I'll recreate the earth differently this time. And I, what? No, no, uh, you know that, that. I'm trying to think. How would that be like for an artist? An artist going, let's see. I really don't like what happened here on this canvas. Let's see. How can I fix this? Well. I know what I'll do. You know, I will slowly, I'll take a very thin brush and I'll just start to draw, you know, a white line from the bottom up. And I'll draw a different line every day until eventually the entire canvas is covered with white again. And then uh, I'm going to, you know, start over with this one little spot of blue that I like. I'm going to leave that little spot of blue and I'm going to cover the rest in white. I don't know if that works for you, but visually it kind of works for me right now. That one came to me on the fly. No, an artist would take a, a big brush and paint the whole thing white in a second, or they would just break the canvas and throw it out and start over. This is not a good plan. There are so many other ways he could have used his power if this was his plan. But instead, the plan is, I'm going to come up with a way of redemption. I'm going to come up with a way to walk out a redemption so that people don't have to go with the natural result that is going to occur because of the violence they've given themselves over to, because of the corruption they've given themselves over to, because that is the way of the enemy, and the enemy's way always ends in death. So he says, I want you to make an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. And this is how you're going to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving the below the roof an opening, one cubit high all the way around. Put a door on the side of the ark. Make lower, upper, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters to the earth to destroy all life under the heavens and the and the, every creature that has breath in it will die. Everything on the earth will per, perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wives, their, your wife and your sons and wives with you. And you are to bring the ark to uh, two of every living creature, male and female, keep them with you. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of creature that moves on the, along the ground will come and to you and be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away for food for you and for them. And Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Look at this plan and tell me that this plan was the most efficient way for God to do it if God wanted to destroy the earth. There's no way. This plan looks like a plan of somebody who's like, all right, I've got a way out of this. I'm, I'm going to show you a path that the, that the enemy can't thwart because you're a righteous man, because you have not been corrupted. That's what he's saying, because you've walked faithfully with me. You and I continue to talk. Now, I do, I do know that there, there used to be, back in the days of clean comedy, <laughs> <laughs> Do I sound old when I say that? I know that there's still clean comedy, and I know I, I follow them on TikTok and on on uh, Facebook and stuff, and they they are funny. Uh, you know, I think I think you don't have to be crude to be funny. 
You just don't. Uh, a lot of times I think it takes it takes less creativity to be crude. Uh, and and when you if you want to be clean, you actually have to be funny. Anyways, that being said, I remember I, I don't I don't remember the actual person, but there was a routine that went around and I know my parents had it on a record. And again, I don't know if it was Bill Cosby, who I know went to jail and I know he's not a great. I know. I know. I'm just saying, I don't know if it was his record or if it was somebody else's record, but they would have these um, these routines called, you know, phone calls from God. And they there was one that was known. There was actually a movie, an old movie where God speaks to Noah. And I, re I remember, you know, again, it was kind of based off these comedy routines. He's like, I don't know, carving a knife, whittling outside of his house. And he hears, you know, God's voice, Noah. And he's like, whoa, who's that? Noah, it's the Lord. Wait, what? Wait, why are you talking to me? What's going on? I haven't done anything. Noah, it's the Lord. I want you to build me an ark. An ark? What's an ark? Anyways, I know it's not, trust me, I'm sure you're not laughing because uh, that is not a good rendition of the comedy routine. But I remember as a child, I thought that was the funniest thing. But looking at scripture here, I believe God ha had a relationship with Noah. Noah was was not surprised to hear from the Lord. Do you remember that we, we saw early in chapter 6, uh, would have been uh, last week's episode, that the Spirit of God dwelled with, with the with the humans it dwelled on earth and god was like my spirit can't stay here like there's 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 basically not a lot for me to do here nobody's nobody's talking to me but noah did because noah was righteous noah walked with god so i don't think the voice of god was surprising to noah i also don't think the idea of an ark was something he had never heard of before yes noah lived way inland but noah was a i believe a creative uh, engineer of farming tools and creative solutions to farming issues and maybe even to engineering issues with cities and buildings. And that's why I think people tolerated his behavior, quote, being good with God. They looked at him and said, you know what? He's strange, but the dude's got some answers. Like, if you have a problem, bring it to him. And I believe that's why he had resources to build an ark. Listen, God doesn't call you to do something and then leave you with nothing to do it with. He provides for you to do something. We, you know, we we have a plan. We hear from God and it's like, wow, like this plan will work. Why? I don't, I, like we subtly have resources to do this thing. We didn't see this before. We didn't have this before. Now we have more options. I think I think Noah was the same way. God's like, I need, I, I want you to build an ark. I think he knew what an ark was. He probably had traveled to the coast. He probably had seen boats. He probably had, was aware of boat building. He might have even been given the way that Noah's mind worked. I mean, he's 500 years old at this point, people. He's 500 years old. He's probably been to the ocean more than once. He probably even helped some shipbuilders and some barge builders. He kind of knows what he's doing. He knows what wood works. He knows what pitch, how pitch works. And he says, I want you to build me an ark. 
And I don't think he was confused by the voice of God. And I don't think he was confused by what an ark was. He tells him how to how to build it. He goes, this is how I want you to do it. Da, 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 da. And I know you can break down how big this thing is. I know that there is one, I think, in Tennessee, right? Didn't somebody build one, Creation Institute or something? That's always, uh, I, I heard it's, it's fun to walk through. Uh, I probably will someday if I'm in the area, just out of curiosity, right? The mere, the size of it in my brain, I'm sure is, is accurate, but to actually see it physically would be awesome. I know at one point in their ideal world, right, it was supposed to have like a huge zoo outside and petting zoo inside for you to see all these animals and all the various things. And those, uh, my understanding is those aren't there yet. Uh, there's a lot of reading involved, whereas, you know, I know originally they wanted to have costumed uh, characters from that era to answer questions and talk to you about things. But that's fine. I mean, I don't mind reading. I, I read a lot. So and I'm sure it's, it'll be a fun visit. Anyways, I don't think I don't think Noah was blown away by these plans. He knew how to get uh, cedar wood or gopher wood, depending on on what version you're looking at. He knew. He knew a uh, cypher, cypress, not cedar, cypress wood or gopher wood, depending on, on the version. Uh, he knew what pitch was supposed to do and how to get it. He, he, he had money, I think. I think he had tons of it. He had access. He had ways to trade. And he didn't have a timeline. God was like, just make an ark. And he goes, I'm going to make a covenant with you. My covenant is with you. You for sure are getting out. You, your wife, your your sons and their wives, they're all getting on the ark. I'm making sure that your family gets out. I'm making sure a bunch of animals get out, like literally all of them. I'm making sure that there is food stored up so that you don't go hungry or starve to death. Not just you or the, or the animals. Like everybody's going to be taken care of. Now, this sounds like a plan from God. This sounds like a God who's who's loving and kind and filled with hope. Not a God who wants to wipe out everything on the planet. Because if he wanted to just wipe it out, God's the easiest plan would have been like, hey, Noah, get your family together, I'm, you know, for lack of a better term. I'm going to transport you, you know, back to the Garden of Eden up here in this other spiritual plane or back to another place. I'm going to wipe out the earth and I'm going to I'm going to put you back. You know, I'm going to or I'm going to let you live somewhere else on some other planet. Uh, I'm going to have you reproduce. I'm going to have you kind of give you kind of a fresh start and then I'm going to send you back to earth when I've, when I've replanted the whole thing. Like I, there's just so many other ways he could have done this other than this plan. This plan is perfect because it fits the plan, the heart of God. He's like, okay, the enemy wants to destroy everything, but I'm going to provide a way out. Not just for you, but for all the things that I created, a representation of everything I created. I'm not going to let everything die. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of Jesus. This is why I recognize when I, or this is what I recognize when I read these verses. And so it, uh, it said, uh, verse 22, Noah did everything as God commanded him. Noah did what God said to do. I don't think this was like, hey, Noah, build an ark. I'll talk to you when it's finished. And 100 years later, God showed back up. I think he had constant conversation with God before this, these verses and after. I think he probably had all kinds of opportunities to be creative on, on how to get three floors in and how big they were supposed to be. If you notice, like the quick little 
300 cubits, 50 cubits, 30 cubits. God didn't divide it up for him either and say each stall needs to be this big. Every floor needs to be this, this, you know, divided by this amount of. I think those kind of conversations happen within within the, the, the framing of it. I think those kind of conversations happen continually with him. And he trusted the voice of God within him when he was like, well, let's see, should we divide this up evenly? And he hears the Lord say, no, I think you, you know, I think maybe this, this floor should be taller than the next floor. You, you know, the third floor where you're going to live doesn't need to be as tall as the bottom two floors where the animals are going to be because some of those animals are pretty tall. Why would, why would Noah know this? Because Noah's been around for 500 years. He has seen thousands of types of animals. He has traveled the world, I believe. Not necessarily on vacation, but just by the very nature of his business. Now, Noah had to continue to work. He continued to earn money. He continued to make whatever he was making for farmers around the world. People came and they watched what he was doing. Noah had to work with his family. We'll get into more details on that in, in the next episode. We're pretty much going to wrap this up here. Noah had to have resources. He had he had money. He had wood. He had tools. He had labors. I know that uh, the the one of the Hollywood movies on Noah more recently, I think it was Russell Crowe played Noah. The Nephilim, some of these men of renown, some of these ancient heroes, these powerful spirit beings were brought in to help Noah build this ark. Hey, I, you know, I I saw that movie. And I thought, wow, a lot of Christians are going to completely lose their minds over this. But that's the kind of that's the kind of oral traditions that come out of out of this language. That that he did have help, supernatural hybrid beings that were that were either employed by Noah or were sent to help him. The building, the building of this, I know that they, they had pulleys and they had ropes and they had ways to, to move logs and they, they, listen, they're highly intelligent people, but, but stuff happens when you're constructing something this big. Delays happen. You need creative solutions. Things get cut wrong. Things get pegged wrong. You put something in and you're looking at it and you're going, nope, that's not going to work. We actually need to move the staircase. Like that kind of stuff I think happened. And I don't know what help he had or what he employed or if it was if it was supernatural or not. I just know it took 100 years to build. And we are going to deal with that next week on The Epic Narrative. Thanks for joining us today. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Hey, everybody. What's going on? We, uh... I don't know. You know, sometimes I, I listen. I always listen to these episodes, and I think, "Oh, you could have said things so much better." <laughs> so I appreciate these Bob thoughts sometimes at the end because I, I, I kind of, I, I feel like I'm able to kind of bring some thoughts that uh, maybe I meant to bring and didn't, or didn't do as well as I thought I did in the moment. But anyways, that, that's enough. That's enough. I appreciate it. all of you guys have been so encouraging to me, and uh, you know, I'm out here on the road. And I've actually met 
a number of people that listen to Bob Thoughts, just friends of ours and uh, other random people. I met somebody at a trailer park, uh, RV camp, sorry, the other day. And uh, yeah, he was he was like, hey, I, I listened to you. <laughs> it was really fun. You guys are great. And uh, I'm, I'm super happy to be out here on the road. It's, it's been a lot of fun. But I wanted to talk today about um, the, the concept of when, when do you rebel? Like, what's, what's rebellion? Because I, I'm, I'm so convinced that so many people try to re- do rebellious things, quote, against the enemy, using the same tactics of, of the enemy, as the enemy. And I do understand that there is a military mindset and a business mindset that says, you know, that says that's how you do war. You do war by being, you know, war, as bad or badder than the people that you're warring against. So you got to have, if they got guns, you got to have bigger guns. If they have, if they have good aim, you got to have better aim. If they have, you know, good explosives, you got to have bigger explosives. And everybody just kind of basically one ups each other, one ups each other until eventually the winner is declared. And then of course they get to write the history and. Therefore, they're always the hero and the and the redeeming one, which is another whole philosophical journey that we need to go down maybe sometime, but not today. I just want to talk about when do we do war? How do we how do we we rebel against the enemy? Because I think Jesus is the best example of that. He he rebelled against the status quo, right? He he rebelled against religion. He rebelled against the Satan darkness. And he did so by bringing light. He did so by bringing love. He did so by bringing joy and hope and peace. And I do, I, I, you guys know, because if you listen, you know, I, I do recognize that when you bring light into a dark room, the darkness finds it a violent attack, right? Because they are forced to move. You bring hope to a hopeless situation, honestly, there's some people that get upset by that. And I know because I've done it. If you bring joy into a, a depressed situation, I know for sure people get upset about that because I've done it. I, I carry a lot of joy. I have to be really careful sometimes, uh, not sometimes, all the time. When I go into circumstances that I know are very upsetting for people and, and that they're in essence depressed or down, I have to be careful that I don't bring too much joy to the circumstance because it's, it's offensive to people. You know, there's some people who literally live their life being depressed and always having stress and always having issues. And and if I show up and I'm like, no, you don't have issues. You have opportunities. Yeah, you know, you here's a creative solution for this. And look, you can do this. And look, uh, and I I point out all these things, and I'm just like, hey, hey, have a great day. There, that's upsetting. It really is. Like they, I know because I've. I've had interactions with them later and they'd say like, you have no idea how mad I was at you because in their minds, this is the world they've created a world of, of sadness, of depression, of stress, of issues. And now here comes this, this Bob who just shows up and starts spreading joy. Well, that is not the plan. (laughs) And I think in a lot of ways, Jesus did the exact same thing. So many times he showed up in, you know, at temple and there would be the reading of scripture and then the discussion afterwards. And, and whatever, you know, the name, whoever the rabbi was who was reading the Torah at that day, and they would, they would lay out their thoughts on it. The, the, the lead guy would lay out his thoughts, but then everything was discussed. And Jesus, I believe, would bring 
the bring the the peace. He'd bring the joy. He'd bring the hope. He'd see the love of the Father in these scriptures, and nobody else could see it. And it was so upsetting to the religious world because you can't manipulate people if God's loving and kind. You need a God who's going to bring the wrath, who's going to bring the thunder. And we get into that even more next week, right, when we talk more about Noah. But when... When I believe when when God sees Noah as this righteous person, he sees Noah as somebody who is living a life that allows for the love and peace and joy of God to be seen and heard and felt by those around him. He he looks at, at Noah and he sees somebody who raised a family, and I'm not again, I, I, I'm making no claims as to the righteousness of his children, but but because of their father, they at least had an environment, I believe, in which love and joy and peace was an option for them. They did not have to give in to the culture around them because that's how things were done. And that's the way, you know, uh, you know, bribery is, is one that I thought of when well, I didn't bring it up in the, in the lesson. But when I listened to it this past week, I thought, I, I know, I know that there are cultures in this world in which bribery is the way that things get done. You're, there are there are cargo docks in you know in Guatemala or uh, I know of and I'm sure in other places where the people are hired to work the docks but they don't get paid. The only way they get paid is through bribing people to get their stuff out of the cargo uh, bins. And it was you know it was very difficult for the missionaries I was working with to get anything out of the docks because they weren't willing to pay the price. They weren't willing to bribe. They were they were like, the you know, that's our stuff. We paid to have it shipped here. Uh, if you want money, you need to talk to the people who ship, like whatever. Like it was just, it's hard. It's hard to go counter-cultural because these are real people. And, and you're bringing love and joy and hope and righteousness and you're trying to do things correctly. And they're not buying it because that's not the way things are done. That's not how they were trained. But because you're doing it differently, and I'm not saying you, you, you know, you say, well, I'm different. I'm a Christian. I don't do things that way. You say, listen, is there another way? Are there other ways that we can work together in order to provide, you know, what needs to be provided in order for us to work out the circumstances so that I'm not doing something that goes against my uh, conscience, that goes against what I believe is a, is a principle that I want to live by, and you still get you know what you deserve. I'm not I'm not trying to say you know that you don't deserve to get paid or that or that what you're doing isn't valuable, but what you're asking me to provide for you is something I can't. So let's work together. And what does that do? That builds relationship. That builds understanding. That builds a culture of conversation and connection, and community, and that's the kingdom of God. And that's how you, quote, rebel. That's how you push back against the system. Now, I do know that there's a lot of pushback that's been going on since kind of as COVID's been waning and the mandates have been rebelled against and education systems as well have been, have been revealed to contain things that evidently a lot of people in the culture didn't know weren't aware or when they found out didn't want so they're pushing back but the but ideally they should be using the avenues to push back that they that they're allowed to use 
meetings and, and uh, you know, and voting and running for office and uh, making appointments, not just like throwing rocks or, <laughs> or, or vandalizing you know, people's homes. That kind of stuff is not the way of the kingdom. Use what's legal, lose what, use what's proper. Do so in a peaceable manner. I'll tell you, one of, the, one of my favorite verses in Scripture comes from the book of 3 John. And you know, back in the day, uh, you know, I was in high school. I went to a Christian high school, and um, they, they encouraged us, like, find, I forget, I forget the circumstances. I think it might have been a chapel speaker, but they were like, you know, find what you want written on your gravestone and then work backwards from there. And I thought that was kind of cool. So I remember looking, I happened to be reading in 3 John some, somewhere down the line, and I thought, this is like this verse. And I, I think his name's Demetrius. But it says that, you know, it, it lists three different people. Two of them were not good references, and one of them was, and Demetrius, whom everyone speaks well of. And I thought, good grief. What? A crazy, amazing verse to have written about you in Scripture. Like, there's no story to it. There's no background. There's just one statement from God about this guy. And it's everybody, everyone speaks well of him. Everyone. I was like, wow, that that that's a goal. To me, that's something that I would love written on my gravestone. Now, I don't plan on dying for a couple hundred more years, but that's another whole story we can talk about some other time. But I believe that if you do the kingdom right, if you, quote, rebel against darkness right, they'll be able to write that on your gravestone. People will say, hey, we didn't always agree, but we always got along. I never felt disrespect for, disrespected or dishonored, even if we disagreed. And there's a way to do it, and it takes work. And I believe Noah and to some level his family figured that out. For a hundred years, they reached out and interacted with a world that was in absolute rebellion against the kingdom of God. And they worked with God to provide a point of rescue for everyone who was interested because God loves to give people the freedom of choice. And he loves to rescue, restore, regenerate, and, and resurrect. All right, that's enough from me. Ooh, I'm going to get to preaching. Have yourself a great day, everyone. Thanks for stopping by. I'll see you next week on The Epic Narrative. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.